Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joined tonight by Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Hello, everyone. We also welcome back freelance writer, John Bolding. Howdy, howdy. The winter of wargaming continues. Uh, this time we've gone back in time uh, to olden times, the Middle Ages. Uh, all of us have fond memories of, of our days at the joust. Um, the St. Crispin's Day speech, serving alongside King Henry, all of them. And so what could be better than Field of Glory 2 Medieval? Uh, uh, if we went back to the part of being the Middle Ages where we got 75% of our daily calories from beer and wine. That actually doesn't sound bad. Although I'll bet you a lot of that stuff wasn't as good. You know what I mean? No, like, it was let, probably terrible. Real. We're pretty fancy now. It's like being dragged to a cheap meat hall. I bet that's it, what that would be like. But every day for each meal. See, now that, it that sounds better true. that I've said that. Eh, I could do without it at breakfast. I think I, I think I would much rather have the latte uh, if I'm if I'm being straight with you. But Field of Glory <laughs> 2 Medieval is the Middle Ages take on the Field of Glory system. Uh, we liked Field of Glory 2. It's uh, usually an ancients uh, system, but obviously like elements of the system have cropped up uh, in really similar games like Pike and Shot, uh, Sengoku Jidai. Uh, Troy, what's, fi- what's Field of Glory uh, 2 Medieval doing? And what does this system take as its like core rules and suppositions about how combat in this era worked? Well, I mean, to refresh, uh, Field of Glory is a miniatures war game. It's based on a rule set. Uh, I think it came out in the late 2000s, 2007, 2008, uh, by the McNeil brothers, who are the founders and owners of Slytherin uh, Limited, uh, the computer uh, game company. They were champion uh, ancient miniatures people of the old the Bellas Antiquata system, and they designed their own system in 2007-2008. And it draws a lot on old DBA. It has a few deviations. Uh, like most miniature systems, it has um, different rule, different uh, army sets uh, for each different country. They have an ancient set, a medieval set, and each culture has its own armies their own designs so generally they tend to break down as they do in rule systems into certain types you have archers you have spears you have horse you have light horse all of these things and they have uh different behaviors on the battlefield uh based on what they encounter and what they do uh, it is a miniature rule set that is very heavy where i look at something like the great battles of history war game system which we talked a lot about in an earlier show, which is really based on cohesion and morale um, and how the trick is to get every the army's routing as quickly as possible, uh, which we've done fairly, relatively easily if you know what you're doing. Uh, the armies in Field of Glory have a little more staying power. Uh, they are not pro... It's not big on you know command and control. It is big on positioning. Uh, where is your army on a hill? Uh, where are the forests? What is the angle of attack? How many troops are attacking? Um, units will route if their casualties get beyond a certain level, uh, or they will take you know cohesion damage if they're hit from the side, or they get a really bad dice roll. Uh, but this isn't, in most cases, with most armies, especially the medieval level, you're not going to have um, yakety sacks armies routing uh, because they see their champion units run away. There are going to be a lot of stand-ups, slogging fights, um, where you need your you need to choose whether the Schwerpunk's going to be, where your action is going to happen, where you're going to try to tar- turn the tide of battle, or the luck of the dice is just going to wear you down uh, bit by bit. Yeah, it was... Um... This was usually I'm not as cognizant of this being fundamentally at heart a tabletop system, but this was probably the first one of these games I've played where I was acutely aware of just how much standing around a table throwing dice 
uh, would be involved in playing this game. And I was also a little uh, taken aback by, like, I have internalized so much of Pike and Shot and Sengoku Jirai and uh, Field Glory, where all of those games are kind of like playing pool with armies, right? You line up your shot and you just hit that thing as hard as you can and you hope the angle's right and you can cause those cascades of like collapses through the enemy formation and such. Uh, but try to your point, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. This is a little bit less about that. And this feels a little bit more like an unconstrained, uh, model of command and control. It feels a lot like this is a tabletop system trying to mimic total war in some ways. And I'm, I'm not sure I love it. Uh, John, where where are you after uh, a few weeks with this game? I think that I very much enjoyed Field of Glory as an Ancients game. And it it feels weird as a medieval game. And I don't feel like it does the things that I expected it to do as a medieval game or as the kind of war game it looks like it is as opposed to how it actually plays. Um, I like the basics. I like the way it resolves combat. I like its points of advantage system, which is a fairly straightforward thing to understand. And I like that it gives you a, it, it, it cares about a large amount of information and it gives you all that information up front and lets you decide what you're going to do with it. But I don't like how static these battlefields are, especially if there's a large amount of infantry involved. Uh, the scenarios become very fixated on single lines. Yeah, it feels. <sighs> this is kind of a grindy. Uh, this is kind of a grindy game. And um I'm not sure there's enough going on here to sort of offer major twists to the formula. Um, so let's say from the top here uh, real quick, the game has campaign modes, um, but I don't know that they're more like chained scenarios, right? And you have branching choices of which, which scenario you go to, but what you don't have is a feeling of you know, like it, it's it's not like a strategic layer uh, campaign. It's nor is it like a um, you know because more and more games are deploying these elements of like visual novel or like twine gaming. It's also not doing that. Like it'll give you a little narrative blurb where it's like Your Majesty, the French army is approaching. Shall we take give them open battle or shall we leave a rear guard? And that's that's a choice between two scenarios. Um, but it's not like you're going to have the, uh, you know, you're not going to be doing a lion in winter type thing, uh, while, while you're playing this game. It's just, you know, you choose the scenario, you go to your points by uh screen and this, this part I do like, um, it feels like each one of these games gets more aggressive about how much they let you customize your army in each scenario. Like earlier games, I feel like you could tweak your army at the margins, now you open up a scenario and it's like, all right, you got a guy on a horse and a million points. What do you want to do? <laughs> um, so like that's that's kind of cool. Uh, I dig that. But also the other choice they've made is these scenarios feel really big. There's a lot of units on the field and I am not sure. I think it's one of those situations where you've added more stuff. Um, you've extended the battle, the the, the battle space. Um I am not sure you've created more game or more interesting possibilities. There's just kind of more stuff to do. Um, and so John definitely like, you know, I definitely started to feel a bit of what you're talking about there where um, it gets pretty linear uh, and it's a lot of like long, long lines sort of bashing into each other. And that's true in the campaign. And uh, I didn't, mess around as much with with random battles uh maybe that throws weird enough scenarios at you that that does break from the uh pattern but for me like the the historical battles the uh the, the big campaigns a lot of it fell into uh this vein of giant armies uh sort of marching at each other 
This is an issue of the custom battles as well. I tend to like, you know, random battles and just to see what comes up. I lo- I've always liked those uh, in games. And the generator here is, I mean, it's all right. You give it two armies uh, or you just choose yours and they will randomly choose an enemy. And you either have it automatically form your army or you can buy and choose. And you end up with armies that look, they look right. They look appropriate historically, except I fought two Mongol battles. And it gave me field artillery. I mean, you do not put trebuchets on the field, but here they were, trebuchets on the field. Now, I've got to do some research and see if the Mongols ever did use trebuchets as field artillery. But there they were. So you will get some weirdness. Um, but by and large, even if you do you know, pick the kind of army you want, you don't get a great look at the battlefield. You don't really know what you're up against. Even if you know which enemy you've chosen and which army, unless you know a lot about, say, what the Lithuanians were likely to field uh, in 12th century Europe, how do you design an army to beat that? How do you then choose? That takes a little bit of research. Now, that's a lot of the fun in table wargaming. You know who your opponent's going to be, so you have to decide, okay, well, how many blades am I bringing here? How many pikes am I bringing here? Because I know what my enemy's army will generally look like. I'm fighting the Mongols. I don't generally be facing a whole lot of horse and a whole lot of arrows. So I will want some heavily armored pikes and some a few horse to corral them and try to get them all together and uh, chase some off. So that's, you know, the prediction is, a, is an important part. And you have some of that in, in the custom setup when you decide what the army you're facing is going to be. But you still run into the problem of either the maps not being interesting enough to create interesting battles, because you'll have a field and some scattered bunch of forests. Uh, sometimes there'll be a hill. And just like in the Battle of Hastings, the historical Hastings they have, uh, the trick is, how do I get those bastards to come off that hill? And that is an interesting tactical problem. Um, but if you only have 15 turns to do it, it becomes a real pain in the ass. Uh, so you still end up getting largely a lot of lines of infantry, or sometimes even lines of cavalry, just banging into each other, waiting for someone's die roll, waiting for someone to roll a one and get a critical failure, and then exploiting that breach. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely what a lot of the battles are like. And I a little bit like those parts they're really exciting they're really tense moments where you you see an enemy unit get pushed back and suddenly the battlefield becomes an alive and interesting and dynamic place and you start pouring cavalry through that hole as quickly as you can uh and getting those sort of two on one and three on one unit matchups that you really need to win engagements in in field of glory 2 medieval I just wish that those moments didn't take so long to come because it makes the battlefield feel like such a static place. Yeah, I think that one thing they've improved is there are pushbacks, I think, more often in Medieval than there were in Field of Glory Ancients. You will more often get a line not necessarily breaking, but being pushed forward. So you have gaps to exploit. The line isn't always firm. You have, though sometimes your infantry will fill that gap. Sometimes they will not. So it becomes a tactical, it becomes a tactical question. That happens a lot more often in medieval than it did in ancient. Um, At least it feels to me it does. And that's really nice to see because then it does give a little bit of dynamism to the line. Um, But it's still very often just, yeah, it's just, as you say, it's not always interesting, especially if it goes on five or six turns just to watch that melee resolve itself yeah, yeah and- i think um well and, and just something I'll, I'll toss in here as well uh a combination uh it feels it feels like there's a wider band of unit quality on the field as mm-hmm. well here where um the very highest end most expensive units are 
just absurd, just absurd, really. Like, I, there's just no other way to put it. There are just some ridiculous units. What the hell is a standard wagon? I have no idea. I didn't realize that if you put a, a crucifix in a cart in the Middle Ages, you invented the tank. I do not know what is being represented there. Um, but nevertheless, like a, a, a cart is rolling around the battlefield uh, like a mobile castle. Not fully sure what's going on. Uh, but if you take like an elite spear unit and then you park those dudes on a hill, um, that line is never moving. They will that <laughs> they will just be there um, until every other position around them melts or un- until they win, um, which is, which is kind of cool. Like, it, you know, that that does feel kind of right insofar as um, you have to choose the key parts of the battle line that you're going to hold uh because you really can't put good units everywhere but the result is that you do have a lot of these melees uh happen where you know in a 20 25 turn scenario uh you will see these exchanges happen as elite spear unit takes on three times this number uh at the at the edge of a hill and they do chip damage to each other and nothing changes. And you kind of realize that that, that part of the battle, there's really nothing to do there. Uh, and so ironically, in, in some ways, a lot of, for me, the way a lot of this game feels like is um, you're really playing around with cavalry and irregular units to sort of like grope your way around the map and try to, find a place to get your fingernails in and start pulling apart the enemy formation. And I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's a good depiction of medieval combat. I I really don't know uh, enough about the era, but as far as a game goes, it, it does mean that like in some ways, the coolest units are tactically the least interesting to me. Uh, cause they, they kind of just go to a place in the line and kick ass. Um, but don't, there's not a lot of dynamism, uh, where they are. And then a lot of the most frustrating units to, to deal with the squishiest, uh, the most flawed, um, they end up being really critical. And I spend most of my time there just trying to find a decent angle of attack for them, uh, to, to do something with them and slowly like break, a secondary position so that I can then roll up the entire, the entire battle, but all of it goes kind of slowly. Um, and there's a lot of watching these units bash into each other for like 18 turns, uh, before anything really changes. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely encountered that situation a lot. And I found that the, the, the cavalry units, the more interesting, uh cavalry units yeah were a hammer and literally every problem in the game that wasn't heavy infantry is a nail which should feel like medieval combat but because of how there's there's no shock in how a cavalry combat resolves In my, you mean in like my literally, like in terms of surprise, or you mean it doesn't render the shock effect uh, sufficiently? I've poor, poor K no los dos. Like why, why yeah. not both? Really, but more than anything, I I felt that you want when a when a heavy cavalry charge hits an enemy unit, and then it just stops. That can be a really frustrating thing to watch. Especially yeah, the when the, t- the unit you're attacking is is a medium or light infantry unit. Yeah, there's no sense of momentum. And this is really an issue with turn-based uh, uh, spear and horse uh, war games in general. Um, there's very... Compare this to something like uh, a total war, uh, which is real-time, or other um, more dynamic systems. Units run into each other and they generally stop. There's no sense of momentum or scattering or even charge through. Like why why are my Norman knights charging through these pissant archers? 
they shouldn't be stopped there. They should be like charging through and there should be a scattering of some kind. Um, and then they have to regroup and turn around. Um, I think of um, breakthrough rule, breakthrough or blitzkrieg rules in World War II games, where if your yeah. tank gets and a good roll, they can just bust through and get an extra move. Um, that's something that would be very easy to model uh, because we do it. If we could do it with tanks, we could do it with a dude and a horse. And you don't have that sense of wow, my Norman knights should just be just pulverizing these guys um, instead of stopping and like poking with their sticks which is what they do for the next five turns um yeah I mean, you, you can bring them back to disengage but then there's a risk of a disorder penalty when they pull back that's often still the best thing to do to pull back and charge again um but yeah the reason this is a problem in general as i said with turn-based games of these types of, of this era is it does lead to a certain stagnation well, the most powerful weapons were often the ones with the greatest speed and dynamism. Um, I get, the Mongols are a great army in this game. They're really, really powerful. But there are surprisingly few, you know, ru running around and shooting arrows. You shoot your arrows for a bit and you evade a bit. Then you can't evade anymore and your horse archers are stuck poking with their sticks. And it's like, that's not what I want my Mongols to do. That's not why I have all these horse archers. I didn't buy all these horse archers to see them do things with their spears. They're supposed to be, you know, riding around and doing stuff. Um, so there's a certain lack of dynamism, but part of that, I think, is just the turn-based system in general and the way these battles have historically been done on a tabletop uh, setting. You you mentioned um, the disorder penalty that comes... And, and actually, I... I don't necessarily hate the idea behind the rule, but again, this was the game in the system where I found myself um, really starting to chafe at it again, because usually I feel like the other games using uh, field of glory adjacent systems. It's it's pretty much a smashing, uh, you know, it's, it's hitting the red button when uh when i got to pull someone back um in general like the the like the battle unfolds in such a way that units are in position for a little while and then the action of the battle begins to uh fracture parts of the battlefield and all hell breaks loose and there's dynamism again uh and so i don't really feel the need or interest to be like oh, i would like to pull back a little bit here um yeah like the the disorder risk uh, because there's just a there's a, a sizable chance that if you want to pull a unit back, um, you know, have them uh, fall back uh, in order where they don't about face and walk two two squares back, but they just like walk march backwards in formation. Uh, that has a very yeah. high chance of inflicting a disorder penalty on you. And the name of the game is is maintaining order here. And the effect that has in this game is you have these huge long clashes between the lines uh, where you could sort of say, oh, I think I see a position where I could, you know, adjust my line a little bit. Uh, but this game really discourages that. Like once units are, are kind of, uh, you know, in the clutch, there's not a lot I found myself doing with them. Uh, and... I did find my, I did resent that rule a little bit uh, because it just, it made the action along the line really non-interactive. Um, and, you know, maybe that is for the best. Uh, like there's a lot of war games that think just cause you have to order a lot of attacks uh, along the front line that that's action, but it, it can be pretty boring. Uh, but but nevertheless, like it, it it did just lend itself to this feeling of this is a game where the, the armies smash into each other, and then sixty percent of it <laughs> becomes like barely interactive from there. Um, and archers um, across the board, I feel like again decent chip damage a little bit. But I never really felt, with the exception of a few like special archer units, like they were really uh, tipping the the battle one way or the other, um, and that kind of frustrated me because it's like, well, then why why am I sitting here 
giving orders to 10 archer units every turn and watching them kill like four people apiece. Like what, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, I, I found it frustrating and strange at the same time, the game's emphasis on if you want archers to be effective, they have to all focus their fire on the same unit. And then at the same time, uh, this stolid refusal to have anything resembling arcing fire in the game is baffling to me. Uh, well, I mean, they, they can fire over units. But not from immediately behind. No, they, they have, have to be. They have an yeah, altitude. They need, they need mean, a height. Some yeah. of this, I mean, is I mean, there's been a lot of research in like material historical research on uh, how effective are bows against you know masses of men. And with a little bit of armor, you know, they weren't all archers more often morale decreasing weapons, or they would be targeting at the most. They could take it a horse, or they would be going after the least armored, least equipped weapons or they would be done for any just shock and morale effect. Um, and we don't actually have a lot of uh, documentary evidence and certainly very little uh, evidence of archers outside of on walls or behind walls of using arc fire on a battlefield. That's You see that more often in movies than you do in historical record. Generally, they will be because you have less control for what you're hitting. The arrows lose momentum unless... Because they're just falling down out of the air, right? They're not, they don't have yeah. any weight behind that point. It's just gravity and their whoppy little arrows. So historically, that might make a little bit of sense. Does it make sense from a game perspective? No, because in civilization, I can use, put my arch a unit and they can shoot over it. Why can't I do it in a war game? Um, there should be this, there's this expectation of what we have, uh, of what archers should be able to do. How much damage should an archer be able to do? We don't know. We have no idea. Um, actually, I mean, I, I've often said that the, the, the Battle of Agincourt, as it's laid out historically, makes no damn sense to me. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that the longbows would be able to do that. Apparently they did. But, you know, plate armor is very effective against arrows. Um, so in, in a way, Field of Glory is kind of right that, you know, you're, you, you shouldn't be trying to ping away with your archers at heavily armored men. You should be using those to take out cavalry as screeners to take out their skirmishers uh to delay advances to more than anything else as a, their ap approach uh weapons more than anything else so th to that extent uh i think field of glory gets you know quite a bit right here but it does lead to the fact that it means these very key weapons that everybody has in their army are just not fun to use uh they're not interesting and despite the great variety of uh, uniforms here and army types and uh, different skill levels, very often it does boil down to, is this an interesting weapon or not? Like, yeah, I had trebuchets on the battlefield. That didn't make a lick of sense, but at least it was interesting for a bit, you know, to put my trebuchet on a hill and have it hit spearmen coming towards me. It's a very wily coyote approach to medieval warfare, uh, but it worked for me, and it was interesting. Maybe it was historical, maybe it wasn't. And I think there's a lot of this game. I have, I have, my heart is more in the ancient stuff because I have, I like the ancient stuff more than I like the medieval stuff. But there's a lot of great potential here, and the fact that they've chosen a war game setting, I think, also that is, Field of Glory to Medieval is. Pretty much Europe. It's Northern Europe. Right. And a lot of the armies are the same. Yeah. Uh, you don't get that kind of, at least in the ancient world, you get a different kind of variety of, oh, hoplite armies versus legions. That's kind of cool. There's just, there's not a lot to choose between an Anglo-Norman army and a Norman-Norman army. And maybe the Welsh have more longbows, but generally the horses aren't going to be that much different. And the Germans and Teutons not a whole lot of variety there. Um, so you don't have to end up with a, a few armies that kind of stand out and the rest are kind of a mishmash. Yeah, the the Hungarians, Lithuanians, Mongol armies are the most distinct, I think, from the others. 
Uh, so Troy, I have a question for you. Yeah. You you're interested in the historical aspect of this, as am I. Um, and though I, I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily agree with you on the characterization of the effectiveness of missile weapons or how they were used, because the true thing about history is that everyone's read different books. Yeah. Is I think these battlefields are woefully static, even compared to the games games of the heritage that this game comes from. And that's one of the things that's really kills me is that you can play Hastings and the fight takes place in three lines of squares. And one of the only things we think we know about Hastings is that the battle line surged back and forth across the field all day. And if you've ever played uh, DBA in on tabletop, the, the sort of heritage of game that this comes from, there is an opportunity, a chance in every single combat that the unit being attacked or the unit attacking moves away from the line of battle is is pushed back itself or pushes back the enemy and i almost never saw that in this game and i found it utterly baffling yeah i mean that's that is such a problem with um you know the, the battlefields are they're often a decent size um and very rarely and certainly a lot less often than in Ancients. I mean, it's very rare that you'll see like one a complete triumph on one side of the battlefield, and then those units can come and rescue other units that are in trouble. Um, you don't have the imbalance where like one side is winning on one side, and the other side is losing on the other. You have this equilibrium and this stasis um, that let alone, you know, back and forth. There's not a lot of left and right um, in the game. Uh, certainly a lot less than I would have expected and a lot less than I would like. I mean, Hastings is a hard battle to do. I think I've only seen it done, like, interestingly once in a computer war game uh, because it is just such a, a weird battle that required, that, that keyed on a, faith, a, a fainted retreat and, you know, tired men and... Because you know, if, if if I'm Harold and I'm not shot in the eye, you are not getting me off that goddamn hill. I'm going to stand here, and your knights are going to charge uphill, and you're going to make them do it. Uh, it's always a hard battle to do right. But you're right; it is it is it is exceptionally static and dull uh, here, even with the very different types of armies facing each other. You know, a largely mounted Norman army with archers. And then you have some Huskarls on a hill behind their, their shield wall. That's going to be an interesting match of units, but it ends up being not that much distinct from a two German spear lines marching into each other 300 years later in this system. You don't have the up and down. Uh, you don't have the back and forth. And it's, yeah, it'd be nice if this game does have more fallback and pushback than in Ancients. But I would be, it would be nice if there was a little more elasticity. Um, even a little more animation wouldn't hurt this game. Like Even if it's a few visual tricks to give a sense that there is a give and take. Um, instead of the just like feeble little pokes. There's, there's not enough visual deception here to pull me in. Yeah, I, I do agree with you on that. And I, I want uh, the, the thing that it's very hard for strategy games to do when you're talking about command and control is mimicking the moment when your your units become something you can no longer control. You've set them on a course and then you've lost them. And in this game, that's modeled by units that get into melee each other with each other, lock into melee, and they stay there fighting no matter what else you might want to tell them to do until a result comes along that they either flee or they break off contact, but the majority of results are just going to be them grinding against each other. The game can be interesting at the point where a unit flees, right? Either your own unit flees, creating a hole in your line, mm -hmm. or the enemy flees, creating a hole in their line. The thing that I don't find interesting in this game, but should be way more interesting than it is, is Pursuit, where your units will chase after fleeing enemies. Your own knights will happily flee huge distances across half the field to run and pursue a fleeing enemy, but your infantry rarely do so. And I find that a little strange, right? This, this 
like it's not like uh Harold sitting on the hill at Hastings wanted his frontline men to charge after the fleeing enemy. Yeah. But they did anyways, right? And he couldn't make that decision, but that just won't really happen in Field of Glory 2. You might be forced to move up your line a little bit because a large group of your people moved a single square forward and you don't want to risk the disorder chance of moving them back directly away from the enemy, but it's just not there. There's there's always a challenge, always a problem with modeling discipline. What does discipline look like in one of these games? Um, Often it's done by having, okay, some units are like barbarian warband types and they might charge uh, without your order. But that's kind of, yeah, and you don't see that often at the medieval level or of an ancient pool. Um, but yeah, you don't have this sense of troops being able to being loosed from command or being not taking orders. You would think and there should be some sort of discipline thing where certain types of armies, certain types of units, you'll see a week, they'll they should b- break more frequently when they see like their champion unit go, but also maybe be more willing to take risks or push forward or charge uh, uh, fleeing enemies because they model that with cavalry pursuit. Yeah, I mean that's that's a standard in like many games like this, and they do it very very well. Your cavalry will chase a routing unit if one they've routed for a number of turns, maybe even off the map, uh, but usually just far enough away where it can hurt you. Uh, maybe you can bring them back. But yeah, there isn't a lot of infantry breaking. um, And that is infantry breaking discipline and breaking composure and charging forward. And that's not something I've seen modeled very often at the tabletop level, even let alone in in this game or in any other uh, war game in general. There is this sense that as much as we might want to model command and control of the general on the battlefield, the most important thing is the command and control of the player and never making them feel like they have lost control over everything. Um, And maybe that's a concern to have too much taken out of uh, players' hands. Though, there's not a hell of a lot in my hands if for five turns, my units are stuck there in melee combat and I can't pull them out, I can't try to get them back to a line, I can't do an orderly withdrawal, uh, even to take a casualty hit or something. So there's a lot, this effort to impose some sort of control by not having units break in a system that already cedes a lot of control to just the player waiting around. So, I feel like we've seen games in this vein at least do more aggressive things with activations. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, Sengoku Jedi was a bit more the placement of the commander and like how like who you're giving orders to in a turn. It's been a while since I played that, but I feel like that was uh, an element of that game where like, you know, you, you needed to think about, uh, you know, the, the Schwerpunkt was where you were making the choices uh, and you, you sort of have to stand pat. The other thing is this game does support certain things that it just doesn't do anything with like um you have commands, um, not like types of commands, but I, I mean, like you have, you have um, overarching, you have larger units, right? Like uh, you will have like cavalry squadrons where three cavalry units are considered, they're all of a type and they're part of a, a full cavalry unit mm-hmm. that you can give orders to uh, as a group. Um, but it doesn't do much with those. And I think there's kind of a missed opportunity here where this game gives you so much flexibility where it's like, you're, you're the general, you can do whatever you want that it, you end up making a lot of decisions that aren't particularly interesting, but then you also don't have any of the friction, uh, that I think the better games that are using, uh, systems adjacent to this have, have introduced to create this feeling of like, hey, these are not super responsive units and you don't have uh, a bunch of like captains and sergeants sort of looking to the the signal flags being waved. Like once they're kind of committed, they're just gone. Here, everyone is pretty much under your direct command and you don't even have to worry about like, oh, I should really keep, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the Duke of Orleans, Orleans uh, you know, troops together 
uh, so that, you know, they can get that, they can get a bonus. I don't even really find myself thinking about anything like that. It's just, where do I want, where do I want generic sparing unit X to go? Uh, where do I want? And I think that's kind of um, a disappointing aspect to this. Cause I think, and, and John, you can probably speak more to this, but I feel like the trend overall in a lot of more modern wargaming is to introduce command and control tension, friction, uh, and to create this sense of there is a larger battle happening. You cannot control all of it all at once. Uh, and maybe you have variable command systems where it's like sometimes you can, sometimes you can give the exact orders at the right moment. Uh, but there's a lot of systems now that are playing around with ideas of activations or, uh, you know, command points, things like that. And yeah. every time we go to the PC space, it's frequently like nobody's heard of this at all. And it's like, it's such a strange thing. It's like this is a standard thing now in tabletop wargaming where it's like, OK, so what's your command and control system? And because there's going to be a mechanic for it. And you go to PC gaming. And it's like, so you know how Panzer General works, right? And and that's and that's where we go. Where it's like <laughs> you command everything, uh, and it's just so strange to encounter a game like this where I feel like for years they've been making games similar to this. That both in terms of rules and just in terms of the way units behaved, it felt like the battlefield was a little bit more slippery, um, in terms of your relationship to it. And yeah, this one I find uh, much less so. Yeah, uh, I was sort of shocked to see that there's a a commander and there's a general and subgeneral system in this. But mm -hmm. the only thing that that really affects is a, a unit with a general or subgeneral is slightly more effective in combat and it affects morale and almost nothing else. And I found and it really strange. Morale effect, I would say. It isn't huge. It's not a huge morale effect. You're absolutely right. But the thing that I guess sort of kills me on it was I expected something like there's this really detailed command ranges for different generals and subgenerals. And I expected you expect something like when they're within the command range of a subgeneral, their their leader, they get their full allotment of action points. And when they're outside of it, they get fewer, right? Something like that that's sort of mimicking this distributed command structure that an army may have had at the time but it's just not it's just not there the mechanic that you that seems gut level to me at this point in gaming is just completely missing let me throw something yeah. else out here real quick um I feel like this game wants to play the hits in terms of big medieval battles right um the the types that are sort of uh epoch defining where you have you know the the serried ranks drawn up one side of the battlefield on the other and i think that speaks to some of the lack of uh, tactical variety that john is talking about but i think the other thing is that so many of the units in this game are kind of scrappy and shitty yeah and comparatively like the number of like really great units is it, it tends to be small and I was, it sort of dawned on me as I was playing the uh, Alexander Nevsky campaign where you do have something of asymmetry where like the uh, Gothic Swedish forces are generally higher quality troops, um, a bit more armored, um, but they really are an army that depends a lot on cohesion. Uh, they don't have a lot of good skirmishers like that army moves across the battlefield like a steamroller. Um, and your job is to sabotage it in some ways. And one of the ways you do that is you have a lot of really scrappy, craptacular units, but you have a ton of them. And a lot of them are really aggressive skirmishers. And I kind of dug this. This was a campaign where I found myself having a lot of battles where like the, the key points in it were um, light infantry and archers skirmishing between groves of trees and like dense fights happening um, on the edges of battles uh, so that like, I just need to clear out their skirmishers. So the few critical cavalry units I had could make an end run and get into their back line. And it sort of pointed a direction for me where it was like, 
I feel like there's a scrappier version of this game that is less fixated on the historical highlights and has a bit more of a feeling of um, acknowledging that like a lot of a lot of conflicts in the feudal era was probably not, you know, fully dressed national armies going up against each other, but also probably involved small groups of like trained professionals and then a lot of et cetera that was lying around. And those were battles where I was finding starting to get interesting because then it was turning into, okay, uh, I have like three different types of horse skirmisher and they, they behave differently. They move at different speeds and I've got to kite this really well. And I've also got different flavors of light infantry. Uh, some that are really good in the forest uh, some that are pretty effective, like flankers in open ground. And that started to get a little bit more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but I, I completely agree with you. The most interesting campaign in this game is the Alexander Nevsky campaign, where you have basically whoever showed up for fighting that day in your <laughs> army at any given time. Right. Yeah. Like you got your boys, the guys who always show up to play basketball every day after school. But then like. You've also got whoever the fuck else like, what are these random fins doing here and why do they work for us? Yeah, and this is and I and I really I really did dig that there was there's part of me that was like, man, you know what I want is like the the fry company uh, version of of yeah. this game. Yeah. Um, I want the version of, of this game of that's like Battle, Battle Brothers. Brothers. Yep. The version yep. where you there's a, a massive rabble around you that you have no control over and you've got your 200 close friends and your mercenaries that would be a much more interesting game ultimately i so the way the mechanics play out and i want to say this as a response to what you said specifically rob is that it's shocking to me that this game's choice of time period is 1040 to 1270 it makes this really conscious decision to stop right before the grand like the grand finale of the medieval period where you have huge armies of armored knights on horseback and you know 5000 hired genoese crossbowmen on the french side and it it's so sad to me because that version of this game just seems so much more interesting given how combats play out and i i just don't get it i don't get the decision to do this time period with this rule set Troy, justify this decision. You got to pick a start and you got to pick an end. Uh, I, I expect we'll be seeing, you know, uh, some of the uh, Dark Ages stuff and as well as we'll probably see some more, some addition of the uh, late 13th and early 14th century things. I mean, 1270 is, I mean, that's where, you know, the Lithuanians beat the Livonians and, you know, the Eighth Crusades are wrapping up. I uh, you have twelve. I mean, by this time, the twelve seventies, we have uh, the feeling that certain things are coming to an end. It's like a, it, it's a date that doesn't end anything, but it's just a fe- it, it, a sense that things are a certain type of warfare, a certain era is coming to an end. Right. Uh, so more more than anything else, um, and it's an era that you could argue started with you know the Norman conquest, which is a point that people point to as the beginning of if not the high Middle Ages, the beginning of a middle Middle Ages of, you know, the Dark Ages are over because England is important now because France cares about it. Um, so these 300, these, you know, 200 and some years, are, these 250 years are kind of like this, this little knot of where you have, you have crossbowmen and you have mounted knights and, nor, and, Northern European warfare is pretty much all the same. There's a look to it. Yes, you know, they have the weirdness like the Mongols and Lithuanians and whoever Nefki can get out of bed that day. Uh, but generally, it's, it's, I think it's like many first things. It's probably just, let's just get this stuff mapped. Let's get this rule set understood. And then we can add things to it. Like in the, the Field of Glory Ancients. I mean, that started with a very narrow uh set of armies in a very narrow period and by the end it is you know bro- you have some bronze age you have some very early iron age and some bronze age armies all the way up to you know the end of the principate 
Uh, so you have in by the end about a thousand years of of war, maybe more because they have the Kushite Egyptians. So you have a, a, all this. So by the end, I, I expect this stuff will be added to. They probably just launched with these because these are the when people think medieval war, you make a movie about the Middle Ages. You want knights on horses? This is what this is what you sell. You know, I agree. I, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm I'm surprised it didn't go with, with more with more of the crusade stuff. Like where are my Saracen armies? I mean, there should be a Saracen army in there, right? I mean, that's something we got to have. Why aren't there more Italian armies? So why these are things that we should have, uh, even in this period. Um, I, I think I'm more bothered by the geographic narrowness of it than of the period itself, um, because I I I'd like to have my Saracen armies. I want to have my Saladin. I want to have uh, a Byzantine army in there. Um, yeah, which there isn't, and I think they're missing a whole lot of. A lot of the variety that I think I would love to see, both in outcomes and battles, might happen if we had a little more variety in the types of units. Get some, get some cataphracts in there. That'd be fun. Get some Greek, get some Greek fire hoses. If, you know, if I can have a trebuchet on the battlefield, I want a guy with a bag pipe that spurts fire. And, you know, this is I can do that. Why not? It's all kinds of variety they could have there. So, I mean, that, I, I I think the battle set is going to be expanded. But I, I, I do wish that I had a little more variety to play with. Like, you know, do the, the end screen, and it says, you didn't lose any elephants. Are there any elephants at all in these battle sets? Like, do do not, any of these battle sets have elephants? Why I do not believe so. Why does it count how many elephants I've lost? Unbroken streak of zero elephant fatalities yeah, in my battles. Great. Look, <laughs> Russia... I this rock. This rock will scare all the elephants away. Russia as a nation state will likely never form because Nevsky has failed desperately, but we didn't lose any of the elephants. It's just, I wanted my elephants. It's just the stupid, so you know they're going to be expanding it. Um, but you have the engines, elephants, infantry, cavalry, engines, and elephants. And it's, man, I want my elephants now. <laughs> yeah, but I do think you hit on something, Troy, where like, I think with so so often with games like this, um, there is always the focus both on the big signature battles of that we think of as like the ones that defined an era. And then again, there's, there's often this Hollywood vision of it where the two armies draw up on the field, the two army commanders go out and, and, and talk some anachronistic shit at each other. Um, and then there's a, there's a big old punch up uh, in, in the center of the field. But uh, yeah, like I, I do think it kind of lends this game a certain sameness because it's always the same vision. It's not like, um, you know, if you're making a Civil War game or a World War II game, you still have a bunch of popular, you have different popular visions of what the war was like. And mm -hmm. so you can be like, the, you know, okay, we got to give them a little flavor of this kind of fight because they've seen that. Here it is almost always like the dudes line, lined up and going at it. Even the Nevsky campaign um, isn't really. I'm not saying it should be channeling, uh, you know, the the uh, the movie, but at the same time, um, it's it it doesn't feel very different. You know what I mean? Like it just it feels uh, very much like the same thing you're doing in France, uh, but just with a cooler mix of units. Uh, yeah, I, I think it can be a problem with war games in general, where it's like there's this uh, focus on, okay, well, what's the really epic thing that people want to see? And a lot of times that's a really narrow experience. And if you just make a game that's like stuffed with scenarios that are like that, uh, you may have a lot of missions, but you don't have a lot of uh, variance and I think that's kind of where I find myself uh, a little bit turned off this game where I feel like Field of Glory 1 it did feel like loading up different scenarios felt like oh this is this is a different this is a different game it's it's got more of a um, you know I, I guess I'd almost call it like a, a Warhammerish feel right where like the different armies have a different feel to them and they have a different character uh here I was like yeah it's you know you've seen one of these armies you've seen most of them 
Uh, they're kind of different in the margins. And I, I think that's, that kind of lets this down, even though the system is really fun. Like I still had a nice time. Um, but I think this is probably the least interested I've been in one of these uh, in a while. And I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, they can expand this, but I don't just want more of this. I, I think I want something different. I think I'm ready for there to be a, a meaningful twist on the field of glory uh, format here. Yeah. And I, I hope that adding greater army variety will do that over time. Right. If, if they give us Spain, if they give us Italy, they give us Byzantium, they give us North Africa and the Middle East. I hope that that can give us the variety that I think this game needs, but I don't have the confidence that the battles will meaningfully play out differently given that scenario. I think one of the problems that's going on here is that it's so divorced from any form of campaign play that mm -hmm. the armies do end up so samey and it's simply because you're just buying them off a list. There's no context to where the soldiers come from. And so other than sort of arbitrary limits on how many of them you could buy with your points, right? And I find that without a more interesting campaign framework with more meaning and choices over what units become available to you this might not be the game to look for if you want a deep and engaging army battle simulator where you are leading the same army it does a much better job doing what troy wants it to do which is spit out wild combos of historical fights that you can what if over i'm gonna what would a campaign in a game like this look like i mean have, have any of you played field of glory empires i have where, yeah and and it it tried to like back end the field of glory uh battle system into their grand strategy ancients game which i started playing and then uh, got distracted by by work and stuff but, i mean that isn't a campaign game for the war game, it is a war game insert into a grand strategy game. Uh, but we have both seen, you know, uh, war game, you know, the war games that had a strategic component. Look at uh, uh, Ultimate General Civil Wars, for example, which had, uh, which was, had a strategic layer. You'd build your armies and you'd increase your general and you'd, a strategic level, but you were still, you know, fighting an army and building, or building an armies that you would be taking from battle to battle. So it was a campaign level to it. What would that look like in the Field of Glory system? Because I think we all agree that this system is not great. Uh, that it is, you know, choose your own adventure, which battle do you want to fight sort of thing. Without a whole lot of, it's not that much divorced from the Age of Empires campaigns, where you're just going from point to point to point and carrying through. There's not a whole lot of, well, not a whole lot of carryover. Uh, from one mission to the next beyond, oh, it's, you're just in a different spot with some different dudes. Um, so what would a camp, a good campaign look like in a miniature war game? I, I think that's a hard question to answer, except I've played miniature war game campaigns that are very focused on a strategic map and sort of a time and place. Mm -hmm. Right. A map of a couple countries, you know, this player controls this area and that area. And you have a lot of stuff like an emphasis on income. Um, I think the most interesting version of this would look a lot like the there's a board game called Napoleon in Europe, uh, right. which is a very big. Very large scale war game, right? The factions are like someone is Spain. Someone is the Ottomans because it's it's the early 19th century. And that game does still have a tactical scale battle when armies meet. And I think a game at that level of abstraction where you're looking at large areas as sort of like a province with their own income or what have you, that gives you the ability to raise troops. And one of the key things in Napoleon in Europe, if I'm remembering it correctly and not conflating it with another game, is you can only recruit so many units in one area each turn, 
right? You can only build so many ships because you can only build as many ships as you have ports, or you can only raise as many infantry units as you have provinces that are capable of raising an infantry unit. And so that that ability, I think, would that sort of modularity where you are having to split your forces and consider what your total actual strategic reserve is before you're committing forces to one army to go fight someone somewhere else because it takes a lot of time to move from province to province and get across the map that sort of large scale map would be most interesting try not to get too granular because while i appreciate games where you march an army around you know 24 mile hexes i don't think that those games are the ones that would do justice to this kind of battle resolution system. Yeah, I mean, I guess it comes down to what we expect from a campaign system, or whether we need a campaign system in games like this. Because this is... This is a game that is about the battles. And unless you want to make a strategy game, if you want to focus on the battles, I mean, look at something like... Even the the Total War games... For the longest time, their strategic campaigns were kind of an afterthought for the battles. It took a while. They could be fun, but there wasn't a whole lot of detail there. It was all about building the armies and getting them to smash into each other. And that's fine. That's actually much better than what we have here. Uh, but if the focus is to be on these, this battle system, where battles can take a long time, you don't want to have that tied necessarily to a campaign strategic layer that adds the takes longer than the already very long battles. Because once you add an auto-resolve to a system like this, the game itself is meaningless. Yeah. I, in my review, when I was writing it, I, I called this the closest thing to a tabletop miniatures experience that you'll get on a PC. And I no. do stand by that, because I think this yeah. is a lot like being the kind of person who plays a medieval area, area tabletop miniatures game where there you go, right? You put together some armies and you fight them together. And I think this game is probably a lot of fun if you have a small group of people who you play it with commonly. And I I think you could get a lot of enjoyment out of it if you're interested in playing through some scenarios. But I don't think it has a ton of staying power as a rule set. I mean, it, for me, the Phil Grand Mabel is a fun tool to play around with. I don't think I'll get as much uh, half for me is ancient. So I think ancient is made of it. Ha- first, it's, it has more expansions at this point, but it just has I think more variety in it. Uh, I'd like to see some of the things that are in medieval uh, make their way to ancients, like have troops be pushed back a little more often. But right now, the setting just isn't doing it enough for me to justify the time put into it uh, to generate a whole lot of battles. I-, I still have some affection for the simplicity of the system, but I just want more. I mean, if I want to generate a random battle and have fun, I'll just go into combat mission, and it can give me finished tanks to blow up and a plausible uh, battlefield with an AI that does interesting things. Um, the AI here does not do interesting things. I've never been surprised on a battlefield. And that's a disappointment. Uh, I think for me, when I'm thinking about campaign structure, um, yeah, I think I want the Battle Brothers version of this where like just a little bit of uh, free company action. And I do. I love that Napoleon Europe idea where it's like, oh, you can't just like go to the place where your favorite unit is and just like stock your army up with that. You, you're going to have to play a little bit with um, with what is available in the area. And that becomes a generator of um, unit composition. Dynamism is really cool. Uh, that sounds like a really cool idea, but, but yeah, I think, um, this is as a core rule system. I'm not sure it's throwing up enough or at least in terms of scenario design, I'm not sure it's giving you enough here to hold your interest. Um, I can see that being mitigated with a good campaign structure, but that's not really what is on offer here. Um, and so, yeah, I think for me, like where I'm, where I'm at with this is like, this is a decent system, but as I said earlier, uh, you know, I've, I feel like I've seen better implementations of this core idea and this probably wouldn't be in like my top three recommendations for like, Oh, you want to play a game like this? 
I don't think this would make it um, unless you're just really dying of thirst uh, for Braveheart esque combat. Um, but that couldn't be me. Uh, well, that I will do it. Have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, we we hope you've enjoyed the show. This episode is produced by Len Hafer. Through his ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode about the community at throughmovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Uh, finally, Through Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, so check it all out on, on Patreon. Uh, we got a lot of fun things happening there this month. Uh, Troy and I are doing our movie podcast there. We just revisited uh seven days in may and valkyrie but let's focus on seven days in may and uh you know the awesomely evil burt uh burt lancaster uh performance there so that can be that, that that's a thing worth checking out on our on our patreon uh if you feel like supporting us uh but either way we'll be back next week with another episode of three moves ahead so until then for troy for john this is rob zachney saying good night